Welcome to another episode of This Podcast is Fire. This podcast is fucking awesome in hashtag fire. Here's your host, Samuel Davis. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of This Podcast is Fire, sponsored by SeatGeek. Nah, I'm just kidding. We don't have a sponsor yet. We're still basics. But hey, if you want to sponsor us, give me a call, man, because, you know, that money that money be tight. Thanks so much for tuning in and pressing the play button. Yeah, pressing the play button. You pressed it. You're here. Uh, this is called This Podcast is Fire. We do a podcast. I try to do one every week with a new, exciting guest where we talk just about anything. Sports, music, pop culture, TV, films, science, whatever. You come on, we chat. So thank you so much for listening. Feel free to subscribe on our SoundCloud page and our iTunes page because iTunes is where podcasts are and that's where we like to listen to them. I listen to all my podcasts on iTunes. I don't know about you. So thank you so much for tuning in, guys. We've got a very special guest on the show today. And yeah, it's going to be a good little show. So without further ado, I give you Serge Leshuk. Take it away. Uh, it is a privilege that I have a special guest, and it's kind of a weird circumstance because usually I have a lot of my good friends that come on, but this week I was kind of going through my Twitter followers, and and this guy popped up, and he's he tweets a lot of cool stuff. He tweets about Frank Ocean. He tweets about Atlanta. He tweets a lot about football. I'm like, how do I know this guy? This guy seems he's pretty cool. So um, I decided to you know just DM him. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Serge Leshuk. Serge, what's good? Hey, hey how's it going? Just just sliding into the DM like that. Actually, though, I literally slid into those DMs, and now we're here. What's going yeah. on? Uh, not much. You know, just uh, kind of getting ready for this guy. I was really excited to get that uh, to get to get that message too, because we were thinking, like I like you said. Um, uh, just thinking about doing some podcasting myself, and this was this seemed like a good opportunity to kind of get exposed, you know, um, and kind of get the feel for the dynamic because obviously it's always going to be with another person. Yo, the podcasting world is lit, man. It's <laughs> it's 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 real, man. You're you're gonna love it. So a bit of a background history on Surge. So Surge um, runs a, I guess it's a blog called the Armchair Society. Tell us a little bit a little bit about Armchair. Um, well, it, it was like, you know, like those ideas you have when you and your buddy are having, uh, having a drink and then you just think, oh, we should do this. Like we should build a bar or we should, you know, we should write this. That was like, that was one of those ideas and you never do them. Like you always will sit there and you'll talk about it, but you'll never actually do it. You'll just kind of sit there and like, oh, okay. And then you get sober and you go on with your life. <laughs> um, whereas for us, we just kind of, uh, like the, we actually ended up doing it. So it started as Armchair Sports Society because it was mostly about basketball and it was on WordPress. Um, yeah. I think maybe like three to four years ago, uh, just because we used to talk about ba- nothing but basketball and somebody told us we should run a blog. Um, so it started like that. And then um, we just kind of kept going with it and expanding it. Uh, we went to fa- – like we had a Facebook page set up for it, Twitter account. And then eventually kind of like once everybody started going to Medium, that was our transition element. And um, – we just wanted to expand what we were writing about too, just because you know basketball is not on 24/7, 365. Um, so you lose you lose that audience. There's only so much you can talk about, you know, the preseason and and the draft, and kind of gets boring. So that then we expanded to other things we knew. I mean, naturally it was soccer, and then for me it was pop culture, including music and TV. 
um, football. And it just kind of like spiraled into this this thing on Medium that we're keeping up now that we're hoping, you know, expand to podcasting, expand to maybe some video content or design. Uh, but uh, just, you know, an idea between two friends. There's four of us now. Uh, we're getting emails from people like, can I write for you? And I'm like, yes, but we can't pay you. <laughs> like we don't even pay ourselves. Like we literally just do this in our free time. Cause this is something we enjoy doing. Um, but like, that's, that's basically the whole thing is inspired in many ways. Like I'm not going to lie, you know, Grantland and SB nation, you know, when you read those things, they're very kind of pinpoint articles and they're very adaptive to the way to the way we read things now like we read them on our phone we don't want um you know magazine articles that are four to five pages like there's still space for those but most of what we read we want it to be like a five minute read like we want to read it on our phone on our subway ride Mm -hmm. to work or to school um so that's kind of the inspiration behind the whole uh, the whole idea that's awesome so did you did you have a writing background going into this or was this sort Uh, of like uh yo i love grantland let's do this (laughs) Um, I, well, I've, I've, I've kind of written for a while ever mm. since I was, I guess, maybe like, I don't want to say 15, still in high school. Yeah. Uh, my crowning achievement to this day as a writer is I think Slam published two of my letters. Yo, nice. They were two of the most kind of like opposing viewpoints. Cause one of them was all slang and like abbreviations and poor spelling. And they were probably like, okay, let's publish this fool. He seems like very stupid. So just put it in for fan, fun. And then like the second one, I just like sat down, I proofread and I got all my teachers to proofread and then they published that. And I was like, I don't think they know I'm the same person. Like, I don't think the editor knew that it was like the same search. Um, and like ever since then, I just kind of wrote for different places. So in a in, uh, couple years back, there was a Toronto based blog about video gaming called Paranerds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a buddy of mine ran. So that was the biggest writing exposure that I had with him is that I kind of came on board with them and we were big. Like we went to expos uh, as press. We got game review copies, which, you know, my, my, my version of made it as a writer is like when people send you free stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, amazing. can Can you play this? Like, can you play this game and like, tell us what you feel about it? I'm like, I don't think that I'm qualified, but all right. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But, um, armchair is definitely the first thing that's kind of like, I feel like it's my own. So between me and my uh, um, the co-founder, the co-founder Alex, um, it's really kind of our baby, and we're we're trying to grow it and see where it goes. It's amazing. No, it looks super professional, and that's kind of where I was like, all right, wow, these guys are writing everything from the NFL to again TV, pop culture. It's very Grant Lanny, and also like Bill Simmons' love child now, the the Ringer. It's very similar to that sort of content, I believe. Well, uh, it's it's what you read, right? So, course. like, I, th- I think a lot of what you would you read and uh, what you listen to kind of reflects in your own. If you if you're in that creative headspace, I'm not saying like copy things, but mm-hmm. I'm saying like it's an inspiration for things. Of course, so no, articles, no, a thousand percent. Um, and 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 that's kind of where it came from. And I think like our our main focus was football was just the latest edition because football felt like one of those things that a lot of people talk about. Whereas until the starters came about, you know, what, three, four years ago when they were still the basketball Jones, there weren't a lot of Canadian places talking about basketball. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our starting off point. And then we just kind of we figured out that we were also good at these, these other things that we started to branch off. I just kind of love that you guys are Canadian and not really talking about hockey. Cause I'm kind of sick. Of, I'm kind of sick of hockey. Let's be real. Well, that's well, that's well, that's well, that's what I mean. Like when you're yeah. in Canada, like everybody wants to talk about hockey, and we were like, you know what? Like we don't know enough about hockey. Uh, I'm Eastern European. He's from Ghana. Like we we don't know hockey. Yeah. So why would we? Why would we bother? 
But we do play basketball a lot. So like that was our start. So this is interesting. So you're trying to kind of delve into the podcast world. I'm actually trying to delve into to the writing world. And obviously I, it sounds like we were talking before that you do have a, a, a job that, you know, you kind of have a nine to five type type grind. How are you able to kind of find time with, with that and balance it and make sure that you are getting, you are writing content and facilitating content to the site? Um, well, I, it's not, it's not sleeping is, is step one. <laughs> um, I, I, like some, some, a lot of people ask me that actually, even at my, in my job, there's kind of like, how do you have time to do this? Like, why do you write so much? And I was like, I, I don't really kind of like, like you have to set time aside. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main part for this is that you really have to set time aside and know what you're going to write about. So, um, as part of armchair, we also have, um, we have, well, I, I write this newsletter called your definitely not definitive guide to basketball arguments, nice. uh, which comes out every two weeks and I design the covers for it. And I, and I also write, so I pick like a basketball argument or something. Um, and then I discuss it in depth. So we've done so, uh, 92 bulls versus 2016 warriors. Uh, we've done the top international players. I think this week we're doing, I'm doing the, uh, rating the hall of fame speeches from the 2016 acceptance. Um, and I and, and I literally did that just so I could listen to Allen Iverson's speech again. <laughs> Yo, it was amazing. It was so good. I, I think this is the first time and the last time anybody will ever mention Redman in a Hall of Fame acceptance <laughs> speech. Shout out to Redman. Like that was it was so fantastic. And um, I think the best advice on this I got. So the balance question mm-hmm. is I actually when I started the newsletter with no shame, I DM'd. Um, or like just tweeted at six or seven of my favorite writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cher Serrano from The Ringer, he yeah. got back to me on Twitter. Oh, amazing. And he, he, he DM me. He signed up for the newsletter. He still hasn't opened a single one. So if you're listening to this, Cher, I want you to open the damn newsletter. <laughs> Sir, MailChimp tells me who doesn't open them. I want you to <laughs> Mail- read one. MailChimp, yo, you got the petty receipts. <laughs> I, I want you to read one um but he yeah so he got back to me and he kind of just you know broke it down he said it's going to be hard which he was right but the advice is kind of you know set time aside like every week to to do a little bit of your work like set time set quiet time aside to do writing um and i'm lucky enough that my my full-time job is not the kind where they're like oh you need to stay for an extra three hours for me it's kind of like 5 p.m and i'm out yeah type deal and um from there it's just a kind of self-discipline just because um i also do a little bit of design and i also dj sometimes so it's like it's it's knowing that you don't have a lot of time that you need to like maximize the one the, the time that you have yeah so basically it's just kind of like finding making sure that you fit it sometime within a week is is kind of i guess the the tough part <laughs> Yeah, just making sure like, you know, you have an hour, like just set it, set an hour aside when you're not really doing anything and be like, all right, instead of doing 2K career mode for an hour, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do research for this or I'm going to write this um, and then just write. Also, like my secret is I don't really edit much, which I, which I think might show up in some of my articles, <laughs> but I just kind of like, like just sit down and write it out and I read it twice and then I'll catch edits when I read it again when it's published. Which is not a good practice. I do not recommend that to anybody. <laughs> uh, but that's always kind of been my process. Like I've uh, never been like a stickler for editing where I need five hours to edit. I need to read it two to three times and then and just, you know, it. good enough. Good enough is better than perfect. Be in confident in your work, baby. Be confident. That's it. Oh, yeah. It's 100%. 
So speaking of writing, uh, I was obviously doing some research on you before we started this podcast. And I think 65% of the articles you've released in the past, let's say, two to three weeks have been about a little show called Atlanta. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) you seem pretty vocal on this show. And do you know what? Like, I I totally agree with you, man. This show is awesome. Why do you love – like, what is it about this show that's so amazing? It was it was it was such a weird approach because when I was um, when I was when I was when I was leading up to it and I was reading a lot of things um, about the show, um, I was trying to sit there and be like, don't expect like don't hide your expectations, lower them, like throw your expectations in the gutter because then it can't disappoint you mm-hmm. in possible every way. It's just you know stuff like um, one of my favorite anecdotes is when NY Mag was covering them and they're like, it's an all black writing room, like it's literally the first time in in sitcom television when it's an all black writing room. Um, and like the argument was, I remember one they were discussing about, you know, Paperboy and like how he lives in an apartment and how they had to convince the producers to be, uh, that he, like his apartment is nice because he sells drugs. Like he doesn't have to live mm-hmm. in basically a trap house. So I think what makes it really good is, is, is that kind of thing. Like it's, there's nothing like it out there. Um, it kind of depicts this side of things that we don't normally see because a lot of sitcoms, they um, even when they try to depict, you know, the everyman, they kind of sensationalize the situation in many ways. You know, there's always that one thing that happens, and you're like, oh, that's that shit's just not true. Um, like they're either they live in an apartment they can't afford, um, or you know, they meet Prince, or some like weird coincidence happens. Whereas Atlanta just kind of focuses on the minutia of of everything and it just like kind of depicts those moments where it doesn't they don't even have to be on the show but like they're they happen in real life so they're, they're there like I had, I had an argument with a friend of mine about the, the prison scene mm-hmm. um with the like with the police brutality scene and i mean sorry spoilers obviously we're talking <laughs> about a show yo it's episode two do you know what yeah. you're not caught up yo come on yeah um and you, my friend was like, I like, I get why it's in there, but like, did it have to be in there? I'm like, I don't think it had to be in there, but no other show would put it in. You're right. You know, you're right. And like, just the one thing I've been having trouble with this, and maybe you can help me with this. I I work with a lot of, I, I work I work in TV, and mm-hmm. I love giving. You know, I watch a lot of you know stuff that's current. I love Mr. Robot, The Night of. Um, oh, don't don't get things. me started on Mr. Robot. All right, I, yeah, yeah, all right. I don't want to go on a tangent just yet. <laughs> so, I'm like, I was saying to these people, oh my god, you guys got to watch Atlanta, and they're like, why should you? Why should I watch Atlanta? And I'm like, God, like I don't, I don't know what to say. Like it's just, it's just a good show, and Donald Glover's really good in it. Like it's, it's, it's real. I can't, I can't for some reason. There's no like shtick to it that I can sell to these people. Well, that's well, and that's and that's the thing I think is that you know like a lot of shows kind of like they, they tend to lean into certain themes a little bit too much. Yeah. Whereas for Atlanta, it's 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 going in reverse. So a lot of shows they kind of take this one theme and they kind of try to like sensationalize it and blow it out. Whereas um, this show it takes takes one theme, which is you know hip hop culture and trying to become a hip hop artist. Um, and then it takes a lot of smaller themes like you know the internet celebrity in the yeah. latest episode. Um, and it kind of like narrows them down. It brings them down. Like, like they said, you know, there's no money in rap. Yeah. Like everybody's putting out mixtapes and it's, it's a weird, weird constant behind that. But like, that's not how you make money anymore, but not by putting out albums. It's all the actual other things on top of it. 
Um, and this is, you know, kind of, I guess that's what they're going to get to. And, you know, I don't want to predict the show right now, but it, it takes those elements. And instead of sensationalizing them, it just kind of says like, yo, this is, this is how it is. This is how it, how it actually works. Um, and it's very important for us to, I think with everything going on and like, it's making a huge cultural point Mm -hmm. because we do have shows like empire and everything like that. But like, we, we have no problem consuming, you know, the hip hop culture, um, athletics, but we kind of like, as long as it's at a distance, um, and I think at a time like right now with everything that's happening with the protests in the NFL and everything, this is kind of just like a view at the culture that's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. But it's also the view that needs to be had to kind of see like, all right, like this is what's actually happening. So here's my, here's my one negative hot take on Atlanta that I have for it. And it's, it's, I love, I love the show. I think it's so good. I love the content. I love, I love Donald Glover. I've ever since community, I'm a big childish Gambino fan, but the 30, the the 24 minute network or FX TV series, I just don't think is as effective. I think it could have been so much more effective if this show was a Netflix original series. Do you agree with that? I you know I think maybe yes and no I I like the twenty four minute slow burn, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this this week's episode I felt like it dragged on a little bit in places, um, but from a perspective of where it is, if understanding the way FX works, like FX is the only sh- is the only network that would make this show, mm-hmm. like oh. the way it is, the state that it is in right now. So maybe, you know, if they get the free range of, like, you know, the, the ratings, the R rating, if they get the free range of releasing it all at once kind of thing on Netflix, which would be awesome because I'd probably already be finished the show. Yeah. Um, it would most certainly work better on Netflix. For me, I think it does work better in effect just because it's the network where it's, it, it can exist in the state that it does. Mm-hmm. I, I just, um, I just, because think, yeah, I, keep going, I, I feel, I feel like once it gets to Netflix, there's going to be a lot more distilling of what it is. Um, and, uh, pers- like it, it, it's a hard, it's a hard sell. I know, but like there's certain arguments there where like, for example, in this, in this fourth episode, when they're trading up, uh, consistently to make more money, mm-hmm. it's kind of explaining like, we're not so different, right? It's the economics principle of something you would be trading on, say, you know, Wall Street. Like you take these stocks that are cheap and then you sell them for something more and then you sell them for something more and then you come back with a bigger return. This still, this plot line is the exact, it's the economics, but in a different medium or a different setting. Yeah. Different, different landscape, different, you know. Yeah. And it's just, and like, I just don't feel like any other network bot effects could take us into that setting. All right. You convinced me. All right, maybe I am happy it's on FX. Um, when I mentioned Mr. Robot, you you sounded pretty passionate. Do you have a Do you have a hot Mr. Robot take you want to share with us today? I, I, I feel I feel like I feel like they've wasted at least six episodes of every season. That's my That's my move. I think I think with you know when you go in the middle of the show with like seven episodes and you're like, oh, and by the way, everything you watch doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels like a throw. Like to me, it feels like a throwaway because it feels like it would have been better, better movie. I feel like they conceived it as a movie, and then they were given a TV show, and they're like, "All right, shit, now I got to stretch it into ten episodes." And there's just too much filler sometimes. Like it, it's too. It tries to be smart for its own good. 
Well, it's interesting because the thing that makes this new season of Mr. Robot is that Sam Esmail, the creator, directed the entire series, which I think season one was a mixture of different directors that they had. So I think Sam definitely thought that this second season was going to move a bit more like a movie. The reason I think it's just so great is that it's just confusing as fuck. <laughs> like, it's, oh no, hundred <laughs> percent. There's there's no show where I just like leave and I'm like, oh my god, I I think about life differently. I think about how the way I use my phone differently. I think about the way I use my computer. Right? It's just. Oh. Yeah, sorry. No, no, hundred percent. I'm agreeing. It's it it sold me on on the actual fact. Like the first season, the reason I bought into it is because this was the first time where you're actually as somebody who understands the way programming works. You're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, like the, you know, this it's not Sam's Hem, Sam Hemsworth looking handsome as shit, yeah. operating on some sort of some sort of computer that doesn't even exist, just in two clicks of a button, and he uh, cracks the whole internet. Like this is real, and that's what sold me on it. Like my biggest issue is like, what was it, episode six or seven? That the big reveal happened this season. Yeah, it just throws away the whole plot up to that point. Like that part of the plot, it's like, okay, so like, what the shit does that even matter? You know what I mean? Like it just felt like it was wasting my time a little bit. Whereas everything else was still interesting. When they introduced the FBI agent, I was like, all right, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, it but was, like, it yeah. took that part of it. For One of me. the big arguments is just kind of like, what are people? Like right now, even I don't know if you're totally caught up. It's just like, what are these people doing right now? Other exactly. than other than other than the cop right now, who's trying to crack a case? What are they trying to do? Like no one knows. <laughs> so well, it just it just seems like it's stalling. Yeah. Hey, hopefully, the, I think the season finale is either on tonight or I think it's like a two parter tonight yeah. and next week. So I still like fair warning. I I am like maybe an episode or two behind. Okay, so, so I won't say um, anything. It's all good. Yeah, I'm all here. Um, no spoilers alert on Mr. Robot. Atlanta, full of spoilers. We'll do it. Yeah. Oh, no, 100%. I've watched every episode twice at least. <laughs> so um, another thing you're very vocal about on Twitter, and this is, again, another reason why you caught my eye, was music. And you were very vocal the night of the Frank Ocean uh, release. Um, um, obviously. Do you mean the night of the release or do you mean the night of the fake release? The night – okay. The night of – I still th- – which – okay, wait. I think it was the endless. Are you calling that the release? No, because like there was that other night, like a week before that, when he put out, like when the, the video went release. up, like two weeks ago, when everybody just, I stayed up to about three in the morning. Yeah. So and I let felt me, lied to. Let's let's unpack this a little bit. So what did you what did you think of? Are you, you're a Frank Ocean fan, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. So what did you think of this whole strategy on Frank? Because obviously this was all planned. Oh no, hundred percent. I think it was it was it was a very interesting approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like a take us back to to the original album release because you know we've had the HBO release with with Beyonce, which I I, I honestly think he was po- poking fun at it. Really? I honestly think with the way like cause she put out this whole fantastic musical performance that was also visual, and he was just like, "Here's me making a desk." Wow, poking at like, Frank Frank Beyonce beef. I love it. For like for like for like four what was it two weeks that he was making a desk and it was just empty for a while. Yeah. Um but I think I think he's also one of those few artists who who's allowed to do that just because his music is so good. Which is incredible it, though, that the fact that he was allowed to do that because he's really only had one album like one, one album and a mixtape. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that he was cause Obviously, who I put at the top of the, the the top of the food chain in terms of you know music and music releases, you put your Kanyes, you put your Beyonces, you put your Drakes, and 
Maybe, oh, Rihanna. And you, put, you have Rihanna as well. So yeah. the people who can like own a release kind of like that. And then Frank. Kendrick. I'd, I'd argue Kendrick. Oh, Kendrick. Lamar's okay. Yeah, yeah, I can put Kendrick there too. But you had one album and you were able to make this entire spectacle because of, again, because of it was a long time since the release of Channel Orange. The fact that you were able to make this type of spectacle, I thought, was just impressive. That the fact that the I don't see, I don't know if there's a fan base out there that's that is that loyal. Well, Andre three thousand, if he ever comes okay. out, with <laughs> and I'm and I'm I'm a giant Outcast fan, and you know, if he ever comes out with anything, like I will sleep wherever he tells me to sleep yeah. for four weeks until I get that album. <laughs> if, he, if he does it, and we got two Andre three thousand verses like that month. Yeah. Which I think we're not going to hear from him for like five years now. Um, I think we've come full circle on the album release though actually. Because like if you, if you track it through the whole year, like we had such a weird combination of the way people chose to release their albums. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kendrick basically released a bunch of B-sides. He released a bunch of cuts from his albums that wasn't really an album. He was just like, all right, here you go. Here's a mixtape. Uh, Kanye released but never actually released Life of Pablo. Like first of all, it's on title. So who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, second of all, like, I don't think he still fixed wolves. No, like there was like 15 versions of that album floating around of that song floating around. But the thing about that release is that one beyond blonde resonated with me the most because it was like, it's so reflective of the way we consume music. You know, we okay, download yeah. and we Going remix and we re- – and we well, because we download, we remix. And like as somebody who DJs, like that's the remix culture, right? Like we don't listen to the album front to back anymore. Like we just don't. Mm-hmm. We kind of pick out our favorite songs um, and, and go through them. We constantly change them. Artists constantly want to change them. Artists constantly want to release something new. Um, they're never physical copies. So with him, it was kind of just like it's this living album. Like if the process allows me to deliver these songs consistently to you without having to, you know, press actual LPs, mm-hmm. why not take advantage of it? So he just kind of like put it all out and he's still changing it. Like who knows in a year if Life of Pablo would be the same Life of Pablo that we're listening to now. Yeah, I'm hoping for like he adds like six tracks in November yeah, to watch. Yeah, and fin- <laughs> finally fixes Wolves. Yeah. Um. Then we had, you know – Auntie, which was technically like what a surprise release, I guess. Yeah, it was supposed to be. It kind of got botched. Then got botched by Title. Out. Shout out to Title. Yeah, yeah. It didn't. It didn't come out when it's supposed to come out. Then we had, you know, uh, Views, which was a traditional release model, which was basically like I'm going to tell you when this album's coming out. I'm going to do a bunch of promo work for it, and it's going to come out on this exact day. But still, it had no. But Views also still had like the Apple Music flavor to it which is obviously very new in this day and age with with streaming and you know he did it on his radio show and was, well, was yeah for right? sure but it was it was it was very reflective of the traditional model of like telling you the exact date yeah okay oh that's it. really okay cool then we had lemonade which came out of nowhere i was out that night and i was like can you play the new beyonce and we're like what new beyonce <laughs> like what are you talking about white woman <laughs> it was it was just like one of those situations where we were all confused. We're like, like formation, okay? No, 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 yeah. like that new one. Like hold up, or like about Becky. I was like, who the? Fuck oh my is god, Becky? where where are you DJing? Where they're asking for the new Beyonce when it comes out? It was. Uh, it's, I I go to track and field a lot. Yeah, uh, it's um it's a family establishment. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So it was it was that, and then like Frank Ocean kind of just did a mix of everything. So he did like you know he gave you dates, but then he also kind of gave you. 
um, a video and then he gave you a visual album and then he gave you the real album. And the thing is, is like all the artists we named, if they were like, yo, we're going to give you an album and then they didn't and then they do it again in a week and then they actually do like you wouldn't be as mad because they consistently release music. So Kanye has like how many features Drake is, literally makes the same song every month. Like if you listen to one dance and if you listen to for free, it's literally the same song. It's it actually mixes into itself perfectly. Oh shit, really? If I'm <laughs> yeah, a DJ. He's calling it's, it. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same range. It's the same tempo. Like it's literally just flows into itself. Um, if you're if you're look back from a podcast I did, I think it was about three. It was around like January. Um, yeah. I I called one dance. I called that this whole sort of island revival was coming. Once Lean On from Major Lazer was like I'd say almost like the song of the summer of 2015. Oh, 100%. And I mean, I I think like 4 years back or something when um if you're reading this, no, when um when the when the feature mixtape came out, so yeah. a year ago. Yeah. Um I actually wrote an article about how Drake kind of picks up these cultural trends and he just kind of like as they start, he runs with it. And then he runs with it, and he like he's a perfect marketer. Like he releases songs every 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 now like consistently because he knows that whatever the algorithm gives you in Spotify or Apple Music is what you're gonna listen to. Mm -hmm. Like he wants you, he wants you to listen to that um, because everything else gets lost. So like they all sound generically the same. Like we're not gonna tell one from another a year from now. Um, which is why way more surprising that Frank Ocean managed to still keep you interested. Like we haven't heard from you in four years aside from your feature on wolves and like it was people saying that like yo this album's fire and you were like okay like i hope to hear it and then like he kept you hanging on for so long but that's the other thing is because they're so memorable right yeah like and plus think, with frank with frank it's just that he had he has online culture like he was, he's holding online culture by the balls literally like the tumblr oh, yeah. the tumblr society is just like was waiting for that frank oh salivating over that frank ocean record right oh 100% but at the end of the day it's talent right like channel orange to this day i will go out and i'll listen to channel orange like mm -hmm. there's not that many albums where i'm like going to bring back from 4 years ago like track for track there were songs there's definitely songs but there's not that many albums. And Channel Orange was one of those albums because it was so different from anything that came out this year, that year. And it was so different from anything that came out within like a two-year range of that album. And then same with Blonde. It's so different from anything that came out this year. <laughs> and if we were to think about it, I don't think there's going to be anything in the next two years that we're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like Blonde. Like it's its, its own album. And that is very, to me, is very unique. Uh, like tonally, it's 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 simple if you think about it. Like they don't do a lot musically on it. It's very bare instrumentally. Um, solo reprise is literally under three thousands voice. Yeah. He uses vocals to cover like two or three tracks. Uh, Beatles samples at the end. He used Beyonce for three lines. He used Kendrick Lamar for four words. Yeah. No, and it's. <laughs> It was RCAF. Like he, the fact that he he was able to do that, and you know, no one's really called him out on an ego trip or anything like that. Is is awesome. Oh no, no, and it's like that's what I mean. Like that's yeah. just the talent, and, and and at the end of the day, that that's what wins. Like if you can, if you're able to produce a product that quality, like that means waiting for it was worth it. Same as you know, waiting for coloring book was worth it because I was like, all right, you know. So I was gonna say you. We've gone about almost six, seven minutes, and we haven't we haven't spoken about the Prince of Chicago. 
Oh, um, top three albums of this year. I'll tell you right now. Uh, Malibu. Top? Okay, let's hear it. Yeah. Malibu, Chance 3, a calorie coloring book, and then Blonde right now to me. Wow. Those are my top three. Wow. Blonde over coloring book. Well, like, no, they're not in particular Oh, not in no, order. Not they're, in just, order. Okay. they're just, they're different. Because I'm already thinking of like, I think I got to throw you on a podcast in December where we just go through the top 10 records. Oh, what, what I, we... I, I'd absolutely be down. Yeah. But yeah. like, <laughs> I will, I will feverishly argue for Malibu and Malibu is like, feels to me like one of those records is like, not a lot of people talk about. It's interesting. It's like the Mal- Malibu is a hot take. Cause like, I think when it's all said and down, I think it's going to be down to coloring book. Pablo and Blonde. When yeah. when when those when those lists comes out, but Malibu Malibu is an interesting take. I want to I want to hear why. I I just like like to me it's like Malibu is like one of those records that people don't didn't even like come about unless they were running in the right circles, and even those who bought it just bought it for the fact that they could say they bought it to be in those circles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's once again it's one of those like kind of genre merging moments for me and um i'm super happy that dre put anderson pack on like 15 records on compton yeah so now people were looking him up because i think people's first reaction was like is that kendrick lamar like at least four people asked me if that was kendrick lamar on compton yeah. uh, when it was an anderson pack song um but it's like one of those you know like california wave chill funky sounds but it's also hip-hop and r&b mix um it's just like very clean and very, very – once again, same as Blonde. It's There's nothing out there like it. No. It was, you know, it was, it was a good I, – I have no no shade towards Malibu. I'm a big Anderson Pack fan and I really like this first album they came out with too. Venice was great. Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of the whole LA scene that he's he's got going out there. Like it's – it's, it's California soul, man. California. And like – they they still got they still have what that no worries album is coming out in October now. Yeah. So, so speaking of California Soul, we've got a new NFL team from California, the LA Rams. Oh, the, the, Rams the, <laughs> the LA Rams. The LA Rams and that's my seamless flawless segue into football talk. What did you think of that? All right. Oh, that was it was good. It was that's good. one. We that's one. Thing, that's one thing you need to learn about when you're doing podcasting is figuring how you make those segues, and that was just a flawless one. I have to. say. I'm just gonna do wow. the record, the record scratch yeah. for DJ. <laughs> wiki, wiki, wiki. All right, we're here now. <laughs> so I was reading, obviously, like again on arm on Armchair Society, you have a lot of football content on there now because football is king, and that's all that people do. Some people do on Sunday. I know I know that's what I'm doing on Sunday, is just watching football and watching my fantasy yeah. team. So Since the NFL started, I can ignore people in my life on Sundays now. Exactly. It's perfect. So, I want to talk with you a little bit about the NFL. You had a nice little article on Carson Wentz and why, oh, people, yeah. why people should not get hyped, and I'm totally in agreement with you. Um, so a little caveat on that though, like as yeah. a Philly fan, like I'm already planning my trip to Philly for okay, the Super Bowl. Okay, got it. All right, so you are like si- for the Super Bowl okay. parade. Like <laughs> that was my own article of talking myself off the ledge. Yeah. When, you know, inevitably we end like eight and eight, and I'm like shit. Like I had all these expectations. Yeah. So I was trying to like sit myself down and be like, okay, look, he played maybe like two quarters against a team that looked like a football team. Yeah. Um. And he did really well. The things that he did well, he did really well. But he also played against the Browns and the Bears. It's true. And I don't think it's going to get much easier than that for a rookie quarterback for the first two games. Because obviously those two teams aren't Super Bowl contenders. But good for him, man. Like Carson Wentz was coming in with a lot of haters. And obviously the Eagles paid a hefty price to get him. 
and yep. he hasn't dis- he hasn't thrown a pick yet. Like, hey, no, he hasn't thrown a pick, and he could have had two more touchdowns. Uh, really, like he threw two perfect balls that got dropped into the end zone. Um, like at least one to Jordan Matthews. So you know that surprises no one yeah. that Jordan Matthews drops at least three or four passes yeah. that are perfectly catchable. Um, I like his poise. Like if I look, if you watch him play. Like he he knows exactly when to kind of tuck the ball in, where when to let it go, um, and that contributes to the no turnover thing. He got drilled about like four times in a row on that one drive in Chicago, and he still kind of just got up and went like, okay, but you know we didn't lose the ball. I either made a perfect pass or I went for a run, and then uh, Danny Trevathan just laid me out. Yeah. Uh, Watching him, like I'm, very, I'm excited to see where this goes, just because I think he's gonna get even more comfortable. I am a little bit scared for his health, just because you can't get beat like that. You can't, you can't get beat up like that exactly. And you know, hey, the Eagles are two and zero, and most of the NFC East doesn't look that great. The Redskins kind of look pretty weak. Well, they look actually awful. Um, and the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know what they have. Is Ezekiel Elliott real? Is Dak Prescott real? I don't know. Well, Dak looks more like Dak. Dak looked okay. I wish he would have thrown to Desmore in the first game for my own fantasy team's sake. Of course, just one one catch in a PPR league was just devastating to good. watch. <laughs> um, but he looks he looks solid. Like, has he turned the ball over? I don't think he's turned the ball over yet either. No, if if you think so, I think I think he looks solid. I think Ezekiel Elliott took a while to to get going, but that's also because teams are like. Okay, you got a rookie quarterback, and you have like the top-rated running back, so we're obviously going to stack the line. So it's going to be harder for him. Like the moment Romo went down, you knew it was going to be harder for Elliott to to get anything going, just because teams would focus on the run more. I mean, if Romo is still alive and he comes back, maybe they'll make a run for the wild card. Maybe I don't know. I, th- I think that wild card is going to be tough because I think it's going to come down to someone that second team in the north. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. the Packers or the or the Vikings, yeah. and then that second team in the West, because yeah. I don't think the Seahawks are. No, the Seahawks. The, the yeah. Seahawks are not as weak as they've looked these past two games. But I'm glad. I'm glad both of our teams have interesting storylines. Yours obviously has a two and zero rookie quarterback, and mine is starting a third string quarterback because my other quarterback is suspended for deflating footballs. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna be fine. I was, I was actually talking to uh, to a friend of mine. He's also a huge Pats fan. And the whole yeah. game, I was watching. I was uh, as Garoppolo was playing in game two. I was texting. I'm like Tom Brady out here losing his job. Um, he overthrew. He, he, to be fair, like his argument was like he overthrew. Like Garoppolo overthrew a few passes. Yeah. But you know, there was too much air in them. What can you do? They weren't just... proper. They weren't properly prepared. Yo, yo. All right, chill. Um. Like basically, what this is showing me as a Pats fan that, and it's not that I didn't not know this, but solidifying how incredible Bill Belichick is. Like he is just like such a legend, can literally play with nothing. The fact that Brady has played with receivers, I've never has really played with big name receivers other than that Randy Moss season, um, and the fact that they get it done day in and day out, and you know, worst case scenario, they fall two and two without Brady, and. Oh, as a Pats fan, I'm so happy. And the they're AFC East fine. is weak. <laughs> their their hard their hardest their hardest matchup was Week One. Their hardest matchup was by far Week One without Brady. And then Garoppolo looked great. And then uh, Brissett did not look bad when he had to. Play. He didn't throw a pick. He was he had a solid stat line. Mm-hmm. 
throughout, like I, I don't, throughout the I don't second like, half I don't game. necessarily like Brissett Thursday night versus the Texans. That, that just doesn't seem like it's going to really work out. No, it's not. But I also feel like Bill Belichick can look into like Roll 101 and pick like Steve from Roll 101, dress them, and just kind of still have a serviceable <laughs> offense. And he still has Edelman, who played quarterback at Kent State. So if Brissett starts messing up, he would just toss Edelman in there for a few too. Like it's like, it's, it's it's a balance thing. He reminds me like of Rick Carlisle in in, oh, in basketball. Yeah, because because both of them just kind of like tinker all the time. Because if you think about it, Rick Carlisle, like that Dallas team that won a championship in the NBA, had no business even being in those finals. Like their best player was Dirk Nowitzki. He was the only player actually in his prime age. Everybody mm-hmm. else was like thirty plus. Who Jason was Kidd Jason was Jason Kidd, yeah. Jason Kidd was in a wheelchair. Sean Marion was no longer the Matrix. Mm. Um, and you know, Jason Terry was. I think Jason Terry's like fifty at this point. <laughs> Like he's like one of those dudes that's been around forever and you're just kind of like – you're trying to think to the time when Jason Terry was young. But he's always been old in recent past. That that Mavs team though had like America behind it because wasn't that LeBron James's first year of the Heat? It and, was. Yeah. It was. It was. It had the collective you – know, the collective power of American hate. <laughs> just like nobody wanted to see them succeed. Um, but – but, like, it had no business being there. And the way he adopted, the way he played zone, and the way he kind of said, like, you know, like, they're a much better team than us, but here are our strengths. This is what we're going to do. And that's what Belichick strikes me as. He's he's the kind of coach that will, like, pull players to adjust to what the other team will do. So, like, he's played linebackers at ends. He played le- ends on the inside. He's put safeties at cornerbacks and vice versa. So, you know, if he has to go to Edelman for, like, half a quarter um, at quarterback, he'll do it. Well, Mr. Lashuk, I'm, I'm afraid we have to end it right here. <laughs> this was too much fun, man. I could talk to you literally for hours. This was so good. Um, any 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 social media plugs that you wanna you wanna toss out here? Um, of course. Well, check out Armchair Society on Medium. We um, we got some interesting stuff there for you guys to read. And if you enjoy what you heard, uh, it's a lot more of that just in written form, pictured in my voice. <laughs> and if you want, tweet at me at Searchtacular, and I'll record you like a voice message with my voice so you can picture it better. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Fan engagement alert. <laughs> Holy um, smokes. And uh, and our uh, AC Sports Society on Twitter as well. So Searchtacular and AC Sports Society is our two key accounts. And if you go to one of them, you can even sign up for a basketball newsletter to find out which Hall of Fame speech I thought was the best. Search. Spo- oh, sorry. Go on. Spoiler alert. It's the one that has Jadakiss in it. <laughs> Serge, man, this was so much fun. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, man. And, uh, you know, hopefully in December we can hop on and discuss why uh, why Blonde is still the best album of the year. <laughs> unless, right. Vince, unless Vince Staples releases something new. Yo. Yo, Danny Brown's got a record coming out too, doesn't he? Just watch oh, that song that. that that song is really – yeah, Danny Brown is good. I feel like Danny Brown's also not for everybody though. <laughs> All right, dude. We're going to wrap it up. Have a good one and thank you so much for listening, guys. Talk to you soon. Ciao. Thank you so much to Serge Leshook for joining me on this episode of This Podcast is Fire. It's always fun to talk Frank Ocean in Atlanta and all those fun things that are out in culture right now. So he was a great opinion. And do you know what? I've never met him before, but he was a cool dude. And we uh, we definitely hit it off. So that was fun. Uh, thank you so much for, obviously, you too, for 
checking in and listening to this podcast is fire. We always love the listens. Uh, feel free to, again, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on SoundCloud, and also like on Facebook. I'll be posting this on my personal Facebook page, and you can retweet on Twitter as well. I post it on there. If you want to join the podcast or help out or be a guest, feel free to send me an email at samueljoedavis at gmail.com. I will take anybody and everybody. I'm, you know, I'm out here learning. So if you want to join, shoot me a DM because I'm out here DMing other people. So thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll be back with a brand new podcast next week. I will see you next week. Have a great weekend, folks. Have a good one. Ciao.